Hello, Degrassi fans, and welcome to another episode of the Degrassi Kid Podcast. Guys, today I have a trivia question for you. If I asked you to name each installment of the Degrassi franchise, do you think you could do it? You know what? I think you could too. But what if I told you there's another Degrassi series that you might not even know about? In February of 1992, Degrassi released a true-to-life six-part docuseries called Degrassi Talks. And what's amazing is it was completely made by the real Degrassi kids. The real-life actors who played our favorite characters like Joey, Spike, Caitlin, Wheels traveled all across Canada and spoke to real high school students about real issues they addressed in the show. For example, Amanda Stepto played Spike in Degrassi, her character's famously known for having a baby while still in junior high school. So on the series Degrassi Talks, Amanda interviews real teen moms. Some of them chose to keep their babies, others explored adoption, and some girls chose abortion. But the actors didn't just do the interviews, they also held the cameras, recorded the audio, and approached teenagers on the street to start discussions like, what do you think about condom machines in high schools? This time, Degrassi wasn't telling you stories. They were pointing the camera at you and asking, what's yours? Pat Mastriani, who played Joey Jeremiah, said, I don't think kids would say what they do if adults were talking to them. They related to us because they've seen the show and they feel like they know us. Degrassi Talks was even nominated for a Gemini Award for Best Program Slash Series in 1993. So what were these stories like? What did these real kids have to say? Well, today, we're going to talk about it. Let's break down the history and the impact of Degrassi Talks on the Degrassi Kid Podcast. Before we dive into any episodes and meet any of the real teenagers, let's take a look at how we got here. How Degrassi Talks even became an idea. Well, the kids were growing up and Degrassi co-creators Linda Schuyler and Kit Hood said they knew they wanted to cap off the series and have kind of a completed body of work. They were already working on the summer finale movie, Degrassi School's Out, but there was still that question of, what's next? What do we do now? So they sat down together and threw out some ideas. Linda said, we thought, what if we turn the tables? What if we let real teenagers speak about some of the issues we're dramatizing on screen? But knowing what real teenagers are like, would they really want to sit down with a bunch of adults and talk about their problems? That's where the key idea came in to have the actual teenage cast step in and do the show. Neil Hope, who plays Wheels on Degrassi, said, We talked to kids for six years on Degrassi. Now we thought it was time to listen to what they have to say. But still, Linda and the Degrassi team weren't sure if teenagers would actually sign up for this, to actually have their personal hardships and opinions shared on national television. She said, we kept asking the teenagers why they wanted to go on camera and disclose their stories. They said it was to help others, to see if others could avoid what they've been through. It was almost like a sense of therapy for them. So they got to work and they started making Degrassi talks. The actors underwent technical training, learning how to frame a camera and conduct interviews. Keith White, who played Tim on the show, and Stacey Mystician, who played Caitlin, created the Degrassi talks theme song together with lyrics like... Degrassi talks, Degrassi listens, you're not alone, let's do this together. <laughs> That's going to be stuck in my head for the rest of my life now. Degrassi talks, <laughs> great song. And guys, this was well before social media. So how did they get these kids in the show? They posted real physical flyers with a toll-free number you could call crazy. <laughs> and they did. Over 500 kids called in from all over Canada and shared their stories from the Yukon, Alberta, Nova Scotia. And from there, 40 kids were selected to be on the show. 
But now the question was, how are they going to get it made? The actual Degrassi series was over and they had no more funding. Well, CBC worked with Health and Welfare Canada and they offered up $300,000 to produce the Degrassi Talk series, which today would be equivalent to well over half a million dollars. And that perfectly segues into donating to my Patreon. (laughs) Totally joking, but we will get to that later though, trust me. (laughs) But I do want to say, guys, we will be talking about some really intense issues and learn about some stories that are really hard to hear. I had to take several breaks when rewatching these episodes. I just want that to be a warning and I won't take it personally if you decide that this episode just isn't for you. We'll be talking about drugs, alcohol, abuse, depression, and I even open up about my own struggles with some really heavy thoughts and feelings. So I just want to make sure you guys take care of yourselves during this episode. But if you're ready, then we're all set. We have the idea for Degrassi Talks, the funding, the hosts. Let's go meet some real teenagers with some real stories to tell. The first episode of Degrassi Talks opens in a high school with a condom demonstration. 25-year-old Bentley found out he's HIV positive only two years ago. He was really misinformed about STIs and what it meant to have safe sex. So he does these demonstrations in hopes that teenagers get the education he wishes he had growing up. He said, at the time, AIDS was a thing in San Francisco, New York, and LA. It wasn't something that could happen in Windsor, Ontario. Amanda Steptoe, who played Spike, hosts the episode and opens with, teen sex is a hot topic, before diving into statistics around how many teenagers are truly sexually active and how little of them use protection. Not only do they interview people like Bentley, but they also go on the street and ask real teenagers candid questions like, when do you think somebody's ready to have sex? What do you think about abortion? And the kids don't hold back. Some say, I can't imagine murdering a child. And others say, I'd rather have an abortion than a kid that isn't wanted or loved. Some kids say they won't have sex until marriage. Others, like 17-year-old Lucy, says she has sex all the time and she really enjoys it. She said, my mom told me if you ever want to have sex, tell me so I can get you the proper things. You can go see a doctor, get on birth control, I'll give you condoms. She wanted to make sure nothing could go wrong. Some reactions to this were access to condoms. That's just encouraging kids to go out and have sex. But when it came time to discuss things like diseases or infections, Lucy knew what she was talking about. She was confident that she was protecting herself and she knew what she was protecting herself from. There's a montage in this episode where they ask teenagers on the street to list STDs and they all start laughing. They can't say gonorrhea with a straight face. And one of them even says, uh, I don't know, gingivitis? But Lucy can have a mature conversation about it with her partner. It quickly turns somber when we meet 17-year-old Angie, who is really faced with these infections and a lack of information. Because of unprotected sex and STIs, she can't have children. At only 17 years old, her fallopian tubes have scar tissue, and she's devastated. She says, I'll never know what it feels like to have someone call me mom. On the flip side, we meet Vicky, who was pressured into sex by her new boyfriend at only 13 years old. And now she goes through high school taking care of a toddler all by herself. She said, I only had sex once and it was with the baby's father. Her story is really heartbreaking. Her mom felt too awkward to talk to her about sex. The baby's father isn't around. And Vicky talks really openly about how having her baby ruined her life, not only socially, but mentally. She said, a lot of the time I get the feeling of taking Jeffrey and giving him to somebody else. I feel cornered by this two and a half year old that's just saying, mom, 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 just change the name. I'm not your mom anymore. 
It's really sad to watch and really goes to show you how different every experience is for every single person, which is why we can't have clear-cut decisions like abstinence-only education or only teach pro-life rhetoric. People will make their own choices and they don't need laws or rules or judgment to tell them what to do. They need unbiased information and access to safe resources. And that's what Degrassi's preached this whole time. Degrassi's never said have sex or don't have sex. They've never said keep your baby, abort your baby, give it up for adoption. Degrassi's saying those are all options you should be educated on so you can make your own choices. All of these moments on Degrassi Talks are intercut with statistics. We hear things like, I don't care about diseases, and then see a Health Canada stat of how many teenagers test positive for HIV. We hear things like, why would I wear a condom? She was on the pill. And intercut a clip of Degrassi where the character Dwayne was telling his doctor the exact same thing right before he tests positive for HIV. Degrassi Talks has the same values as the real Degrassi episodes. The stories are told by teenagers, for teenagers, they're about teenagers. The topics are real. And Degrassi won't judge you for whatever position you end up in. They'll just show you that resources exist and you're not alone. In this episode, we also meet 22-year-old Alyssa who had an abortion. She used protection, she had safe sex, and still ended up pregnant. She said it's not an easy decision, but sometimes it's the only answer. The Degrassi team flies to Red Deer, Alberta after struggling to find a teen father that's active in raising his baby. We meet 19-year-old Don, who confidently talks about how he and his girlfriend discussed it all, abortion, adoption, and they decided they wanted to keep their daughter. Now he gets up at 3 a.m. for bottle feedings and diaper changes, and Don's considered a statistical anomaly. His friends don't understand why he wants to stay home with his kid. Shanti, who got pregnant at 17, decided to have her baby, but went through with adoption. She says she wanted her baby to have a better life. Amanda, the host of the episode, reveals that this conversation feels surreal because she's adopted, and it feels like she's standing in the room with her biological parents overhearing the same decision they had to make about her. Amanda says people often think Spike's pregnancy on Degrassi was the most impactful moment for her, but actually it was Spike talking to Wheels. On the show, Wheels was adopted, and Spike wanted to know how he felt. Does he hate his biological parents? Does he feel abandoned? Spike was exploring all of her options as a teen mom. Amanda said she really related to Wheels and felt like she really understood how her own biological mother must have felt. And this is what the whole series is about. Not only do they pick random teenagers across Canada to tell their stories, the cast opens up as well. Later, there's an episode about sexuality, and Stacey Mystician, who played Caitlin Ryan, talks openly about her real-life sister Kim being gay, and how difficult it was for her sister not only to come out, but to watch Stacey on Degrassi. Stacey was recognized everywhere they went. Stacey was always invited to things her sister wasn't, and Stacey's character Caitlin had a gay storyline. There's a rumor her teacher, Miss Avery, is a lesbian, and Caitlin starts having weird dreams. So here was Kim watching her little sister now play her life out on TV. The Degrassi cast was real. They weren't asking these teenagers to do anything they wouldn't do themselves. They said, I like getting people to be honest and upfront, trying to convince them that a lot of what we're talking about is normal and not something to be embarrassed about. So that's Degrassi's take on sex in only one 30 minute episode. But what does Degrassi have to say when it comes to teenagers and underage drinking? The second episode, Degrassi Talks on Alcohol, is hosted by Neil Hope, who played Wheels on the Degrassi series. Neil opens this episode by saying, Both Wheels and I had our lives changed by alcohol. Wheels lost his parents to a drunk driving accident. I lost my real father to an alcoholic's disease. You think my decision to stay away from alcohol would be easy? 
but it's not. The episode shows clips of Degrassi characters drinking, coming home to passed out parents, trying to convince their friends not to drink and drive. But what hits home is all of the real personal stories from kids all across Canada. Teresa's a 17-year-old recovering alcoholic. She said, I didn't like myself. I didn't feel like anyone liked me. And alcohol gave me a false sense of confidence. 22-year-old Rose works at a Native Youth Council in the Yukon. She talks about how accessible alcohol is. Bars never close, you can find it on every corner, and it's not uncommon to pass by 12 or 13-year-olds who are drunk and skipping school in the middle of the day. Rose took her first drink at 10 years old and said, it was like it was waiting for me to pick it up. She said when she started drinking, she got a label. She fit in, she wasn't different anymore. Sure, she was that rowdy kid that nobody trusted and always got into trouble, but she was known as somebody. Now she runs programs at the youth council to help kids just like her focus on developing their self-worth and their self-esteem. Probably the hardest story to hear comes from Missy. She was driving with her mom to run some errands. It was just a typical afternoon and all of a sudden they were hit by a drunk driver. Her mom was dead and Missy was put into a wheelchair for the rest of her life. Missy talks about how hard it was, especially having an identical twin sister who was a walking reminder of what her life should have been. But now the two girls host seminars at local high schools and talk about the real consequences of drunk driving. Her twin sister, Michelle said, sometimes people think we're these goody two shoes telling teenagers not to drink, but we're saying we know you're going to just be responsible. And that's the overall message of the episode. They talk about the realities and the fatalities that can come with irresponsible drinking, but they don't tell you not to do it. If a teenager wants to experiment with alcohol, they're going to experiment with alcohol. Neil Hope says, we should just think carefully about the reasons we drink. It has to be done responsibly, but if it gets out of hand, you need to stop. Some teenagers on the street say, well, drinking is fun. One kid shares a story of his friend drunk driving and smashing into the back of another vehicle. He ends that story by saying, it was so cool. Other kids say it's a dumb idea, but admit they've gotten into cars with their friends because, well, they're not the ones who'll get in trouble. 21-year-old Michael used to think this way until he drove home drunk after a party. He woke up in a ditch. One of his friend's bodies hung out of the windshield. His other friend was lifeless and bleeding in the back seat. And his third friend survived, but he was left with severe lifelong brain injuries. Michael walked away with only a scratch, but is forever left knowing he killed his best friends and ruined their family's lives. Missy said when she starts to get angry, she thinks about the person who hit her and her mom. She said, I start to feel bad for that person. I can't imagine what I would do, how I would feel if I knew I killed a woman and put her daughter in a wheelchair for life. Although these stories are really hard to watch and listen to, Degrassi isn't telling them for shock value. Degrassi isn't staging these situations or only sharing the negatives to convince teenagers not to drink. They're saying these are the real consequences. And as long as you don't drink and drive or abuse alcohol, there are ways to drink safely. It is possible to just drink and have fun, but you're in control of that. That's so different than most adults who say, you can't drink at all, then do it themselves right in front of their own kids. Neil Hope really opened up about having a father who died of alcoholism and a mother who still remained an alcoholic. Neil opens up about how he kept all of his emotions in. He tried to be the good kid. He was the breadwinner for the family. I mean, his job on Degrassi was the reason alcohol could keep flowing in. While his older brother turned to stealing and anything he could do to try and get attention from their mom. Neil said, you want your parents to be proud of you. You want that little bit of attention that's going to the bottle. Neil was very comfortable talking about his life. He even applied for a filmmaking grant to tell his story. 
The Degrassi production company was giving them out to young actors who wanted to explore film. He worked with other kids in the show, and they told their stories about how alcohol really affected them. The movie was called The Darker Side, and it was the first step in Neil really coming to terms with everything he bottled up. And for Rebecca Saw, who played Kathleen, the next Degrassi Talks episode was the same first step for her. The third episode of this program is honestly the hardest for me to watch. 20-year-old Matt, 18-year-old Kathy, Kimberly, who's 19, all recount their stories of physical, emotional, and even sexual abuse as a kid. And they're not alone. Lakita, Debbie, Peter, Jim all share their same stories. And they're all very difficult to hear. So I can only imagine how much harder they were to tell and actually live through. Lakita was born with cerebral palsy, and she talks about how her parents just shut her away. They didn't let her leave her room. She wasn't allowed to go to school. Lakita said, I wondered why I even existed. They didn't want me, and I didn't want to be there. I thought I'd rather be dead. Here, I was treated like nothing. Dead, I actually was nothing. That's Lakita's story. Debbie's story inspired the episode's host, Rebecca, to open up about her own experience with assault. Rebecca said, in the show, I tell people to go for counseling, but here I was. I needed someone to talk to. Rebecca saw a counselor, and for the first time, she heard someone say what happened to her was assault, and it wasn't her fault. When asked about this episode, Rebecca said, I think some of the stuff is going to scare people, but it's going to make them think. The episode dives into what is abuse? Can men be abused? How do you get help? There's a boy named Matthew who recounts his abuse growing up by an older man that he trusted. He says the stigma was, well, are you gay? And he said if a young man is assaulted by a woman, it's like, wow, you're so lucky. One thing I did appreciate about this interview is Matthew is French. Us English-speaking audience members learn about his story through subtitles. And I think it makes the interview seem so much more authentic that we don't have a monotone voiceover telling Matthew's story. No matter what language you hear these stories in, you can still hear the pain in his voice clearer than anything. Of course, Degrassi doesn't end this episode and say, abuse is okay, you're gonna do it anyway. They clearly define what abuse is and how it's never okay. But if you experience it, the most important thing you can do is talk about it. And it doesn't sympathize with abusers, but it does send the message that these are people who also need to get help. And telling your story means you can help yourself and any future victims. And of course, they address the reality that most people are too scared to do that because of the consequences they face. And some really hard stories are shared about what these real kids really faced when they tried to speak up. 18-year-old Kathy said, my self-esteem was just so low. I didn't care if he hit me anymore. It was easier to take a punch than to be made fun of. Degrassi also worked with Health and Welfare Canada to create Degrassi Talks books. Some of what I'm telling you now has come from both the books and the actual television series. What's important about these books is they include 1-800 numbers on who you can call if you need help. It defines questions like what is abuse? What is counseling? What does counseling feel like? These books include a deeper dive into these kids' real stories, how the actors have experienced some of these situations in real life. So far, I've been really lucky. I didn't drink when I was in high school. I was super in the closet, so I hadn't even kissed a girl yet. And luckily, I've never dealt with this level of abuse. But this next topic is one I struggle with even to this day. Depression is something a lot of us deal with. Mental health is a topic we've all talked about, but in the 80s, it wasn't nearly as common. In this episode, we hear from teenagers who are upset about the environment, about breakups, about stress at school. 
21-year-old Dean from the Cold Lake First Nation talked about how pollution made him depressed. He felt lost, he felt scared, but he turned to spirituality. He said, I realized I didn't only need to ask for help, but I had to work at it and try to change the things that I could change. We heard from Leith, a gay Chinese teenager who struggled to fit in until he met some really trustworthy friends and could safely come out of the closet. 17-year-old Linda is recovering from an eating disorder after depression and the pressures to be perfect consumed her life. But she openly talked about it with her family and she got help. We talked to Derek, who lost his younger brother to suicide, and all the pain, confusion, and heartache that can come with. But the most impactful story, in my opinion, is when we revisit Don, the statistically improbable teenage dad. We follow up with his fiance Carol this time about her depression. She says her parents brushed her off growing up. She openly wishes she had validation from her father. She said, I always thought my parents didn't care about me. So I felt my best bet was to just leave and then my parents would finally be free. Don talks about how excited he is for a future with Carol. She says, I just want this depression to not bother my life anymore. She wants to happily live with her new baby and her husband, and they're both planning their upcoming wedding in Dawn's parents' backyard, and they've even started planting flowers, so by the time the wedding comes, they'll be perfectly bloomed. Except, on May 15th, 1991, Carol took her own life. Dawn said he felt sadness, anger, disappointment. He said, we worked so hard to get our life together. Everyone kept telling us the odds are against us, and I always said, no, we're going to prove you all wrong and now she's gone. This episode really impacted me the most, but not because the stories were too hard for me to hear, it's because I lived through them. I grew up in an invalidating environment. I was praised for being independent, but I really just learned which adults I could and couldn't trust. If I was upset, there were some adults who said, get out of my face and go to your room. Don't come out until you're done crying. So I learned if I'm upset, I don't talk about it. I need to go be by myself until I'm not a bother anymore. Don't come out of your room until you're done crying? Well, most nights I didn't come out of my room at all. And now, even as an adult, when I'm upset, my instinct is to hide. After so many years of running away from my problems and just sitting alone in my room, I decided to get help. I made three appointments with the mental health clinic in my area. Three times I got into my car, drove to the parking lot, and never made it to the front door. I went home, I shut myself in my room, and I didn't come out until I was done crying. And that's at 24, 25 years old. At 15, I didn't know this was a mental health issue. I didn't know the environment around me was dysregulating my emotions and I was experiencing depression. I had no idea about that stuff. I always thought that being in the closet was the reason I was so sad growing up. And yeah, after I came out, I cried a lot less. I left my room a lot more and I was a lot happier, but something was still really wrong. I got to a point that I felt just like Carol. Even after coming out and being myself and accomplishing goals, I hated myself. There were days I would lay in bed all day and all night. I wouldn't eat anything. I couldn't shower. I wouldn't talk to any of my friends. I'd close the curtains on myself and just think, everyone would be better off if I just went away. I've never told anyone this, but one day, a few summers ago, I drove out to this river. I'd take my dog there to go swimming. I looked up at the bridge that drove over it and I thought, if I just jumped, all of this would stop. And then, I don't know, I just accepted it. I accepted that this is what I was going to do and it was all finally going to be over. I took my dog, I went home, and I started to prepare. I cleaned my house. I picked a day I'd be home alone and no one would ask questions about where I was going. I daydreamed of what this day of freedom would look like. 
I could do whatever I wanted. I didn't have to go to work at my invalidating job that day. I could turn off my phone and drown out people who were draining me. I had full control over what my last day was going to look like. So I drove out to the bridge and I sat under it. And I just watched the water. I didn't have my phone. I didn't have anywhere to be, anything to do. I just sat there. And after a few hours, I got back in my car, turned on my phone, and drove myself home. I didn't want to die. I just didn't want to live my life anymore with my problems. And I'm really lucky that I realized that before it was too late. And so I had nothing left to lose. I quit my job. I set boundaries with people who weren't bringing me joy. And I made an appointment at the mental health clinic. And I actually went inside. I learned I have something called borderline personality disorder, which is common in kids who grow up in an invalidating environment. What's BPD? It's anxiety, depression, a lack of self-worth, suicidal ideation, all of those things that I was dealing with. So I went to therapy. I learned what causes my anxiety, healthy ways to avoid anxious situations, how to take care of myself when I'm in them. I still have depression. I still think those kind of thoughts. But now I know what to do to take care of myself. I know that I'm allowed to be my own top priority when I'm feeling that way. And now there's far less days where I just want to close the curtains on myself and not come out of my room until I'm done crying. Episodes like this really make you feel like you're not alone. When I went to therapy and listened to everyone talk about their problems, I realized most things have a solution. It's just hard to see when you're so deep inside of them. It's not easy, but if you can change your perspective, you can start to see what's really going on around you. And sometimes you can take control of what's making you feel depressed. Shows like Degrassi and Degrassi Talks make me feel really comfortable to share my story. Whether it's coming out or feeling depressed, I'm not ashamed of the things that I went through. I'm really proud of myself. And I can see why these kids wanted to share their stories too. So that's my story on depression. And luckily, the next topic is one I've never really had to face either. Why do some kids do drugs and others don't? That's the question Siliak Sasanasi opens with for this Degrassi Talks episode. But you might know him better as Yik Yu on Degrassi. Not surprisingly, we catch up again with some of the people we've already met from the abuse episode. Kathy, who said she'd rather be hit than made fun of, revealed that she started doing acid, mushrooms, and injecting cocaine at only 13. Matt, who was interviewed from prison and detailed abuse from his father growing up, said, It was great when I was on drugs because I didn't have to think about what was happening in my life and what might happen tomorrow. One of the hardest stories is from Rita whose mother said, if you're going to do drugs, you're going to do them under my roof. But she didn't wait until Rita was a curious teenager. She gave Rita her first line of cocaine at only nine years old. And now at 17, she's already a recovering drug addict. We hear from James, who started drinking at 10 years old and said alcohol was just more acceptable than drugs. Kids interviewed on the street seem to have an understanding about what drugs are, what they do, and how addictive they can be. None of them seem to say, oh, but it's so cool, the same way that they did with alcohol. And they all agree it's peer pressure and escape from reality. One girl even says, hey, we live in a drug-oriented society, so how can you blame kids when they turn to drugs? The world around us says, you're stressed, you need a painkiller, just pop a pill. Some of the answers I do think are appropriately comedic, though. When asked about the first time smoking cigarettes, one girl says, I don't know, I thought it tasted like a barbecue and then nothing happened. <laughs> Another guy said, my friend said, hey, try this. I did, and then I puked my guts out. <laughs> 
My critique with this, though, is that we've now met about half a dozen teenagers from Indigenous communities. Their voices are driving the narrative on a lot of these issues around drugs, abuse, alcohol, mental health. However, Degrassi does not have any Indigenous characters throughout its entire series for its 40 years on television. They have actors who are Indigenous, the word comes up, but there's no real exploration into what Indigenous teenagers look like, what they go through, or any reflection of their high school experience throughout the entire franchise. I can only speculate that this crew at Degrassi of predominantly white people struggled with telling Indigenous stories, but they had all of these teenagers willing to share their experiences, willing to be on camera, willing to invite them into their lives, into their community, into their youth centers. And yet Degrassi never represented them outside of this one program where they're telling the stories about themselves. And I hope that this new Degrassi reboot takes the time to learn about the Indigenous communities they've excluded this whole time. I grew up feeling very represented, and I hope all kids can start to feel that same way. But still, Degrassi was ahead of its time, and it ends on a topic that was almost never talked about amongst teenagers. Degrassi talks on sexuality. Stacey Mystician, who played Caitlin, now sits down with her real-life sister Kim to talk about coming out of the closet. Kim's openly gay, and at her college, she hosts a gay, lesbian, and bisexual association. After hanging up posters advertising their first meeting, they were immediately torn down and defaced by other students. Kim showed us posters advertising a safe space for gay kids on campus that now have words like, let's bring baseball bats. We're gonna hurt these perverted faggots, and hooray for AIDS, let the extermination begin. Kids on the street echo these same thoughts. It's morally wrong. I wish we could just put them all on one island and bomb it. Kim says some of her friends and family are worried for her safety, but she says it's a reality she has to face. I'd rather live a short, happy life being out and being who I am than a long, invisible life. And of course, as a gay kid myself who was inspired to come out by Degrassi, this makes a really big impact. But besides this, the episode does have more of a lighthearted tone compared to the rest of the series. A lot of the interviews are mostly focused on the actual Degrassi cast members. They joke about stories around dating, their first period, wet dreams, and it's all very easy for them to talk about, but they do admit it as kind of funny. They talk about your voice changing, being in love, developing breasts, buying your first bra, masturbation, what it's like to have same-sex crushes. We catch up again with Bentley. And he talks about how coming out is a lifelong process. Every time he meets someone new, changes his job, he has to come out of the closet all over again. And I understand this. I'm very openly gay, obviously. <laughs> but I just changed jobs and I never told anyone at work that I'm gay. In my first few days, I overheard some conversations that made me feel like it wasn't a good idea. And when my podcast got put on the news, I didn't think about what that meant until my next day at work that I indirectly came out to all of my coworkers through a CBC article. I'm the only openly queer person at my job. Just a few days ago, I even walked out of my shift because someone started making fun of another coworker for acting too gay. When I was apartment hunting with my same-sex partner, the realtors would look at us and say, you know this is only a one-bedroom apartment, right? I came out for the first time when I was 17 years old and I haven't stopped. And just because it's 2022, doesn't mean it's suddenly easier. But my favorite thing about each Degrassi Talks episode is it ends with a thank you note. It says thank you to all the young people who opened their hearts and shared their stories. And I want to say a big thank you to you guys for giving me my own Degrassi Talks space, for listening to my stories about how I deal with these same issues, and for those of you who message me after each and every episode to share how you deal with them too. 
The Degrassi fandom is a large community and it's filled with people who are open-minded and open to talking about these taboo topics we watched while growing up. If you're struggling with any of these issues, I guarantee you there's someone that's willing to listen. So you might be thinking, how have I seen every episode of Degrassi, but I haven't seen Degrassi Talks? Well, the Degrassi Talks series only aired twice on TV, in 1992 and 1995. It wasn't syndicated and bought for redistribution over and over again like the formal Degrassi series. And of course, with the lack of internet, if you missed it, you missed it. <laughs> but now, if you buy the Degrassi Junior High box set, it includes all of the Degrassi Talks episodes. And before the series ever made it to TV in the 90s, it actually first premiered to a class of grade 11 and grade 12 students. And the reaction was mixed. Some kids liked it, thought it was honest, like seeing the Degrassi kids in real life, and other teenagers thought it was nothing they hadn't heard before, and it was actually very condescending. One mom even said she was excited to show her kids this new Degrassi series, and they all laughed at her. But then the show went on to rave reviews. It was a success. It was nominated for awards and teenagers loved it. And I think that has to do with how kids find out about shows like Degrassi and Degrassi Talks. For example, the first time I ever saw an episode of Degrassi was in my grade seven health class. It was an old eighties episode played on a VHS tape and it was an episode about puberty. The fact that my 30 year old PE teacher said, this episode is about your changing body and how it's totally normal. Ew, vomit, gross. That made me think it was so stupid. <laughs> One of the characters in the show says, you're so flat, the walls are jealous. And it became this huge comedic joke in my junior high school. Everybody was saying it because nobody took it seriously. But then I told you that me and my friends who were in that same health class. We used to marathon Degrassi at sleepovers and we were hooked. We couldn't wait to go back and watch the original episodes. Degrassi's charm is it doesn't let you know it's teaching you a lesson. It's just showing you real life, showing you real teenagers and real options. The second an adult steps in and says, Degrassi's educational, you know, the show just loses its appeal. And don't get me wrong, it was made by a teacher. It was meant to be educational. It aired on PBS and was taught in classrooms. There's a whole history of Degrassi as a learning tool, but it just wasn't cool to teenagers until it started getting syndicated as a dramatic high school series that just happens to have some life lessons as well. And it was true to Canadian values. Linda said PBS was interested in airing Degrassi Talks, but they wanted to wait until after all the final edits were made. And she said she was open to the show being aired in America and expected that if they wanted to make some changes, it would mostly be around the data and statistics that were from, you know, Health Canada. But she said if they aired the series, the stories had to stay. It was tough enough finding the Canadian mosaic of opinions without adding American voices, she said. Another impact of the show is it helped the real Degrassi kids learn about television production. Amanda, who played Spike, said, I got to paint the picture this time around. Direct and think of camera shots. It's neat. It was a powerful feeling. Anais Granovsky, who played the inspiring filmmaker Lucy Fernandez on the show, went on to direct her own films in real life. She even came back to direct an episode of Degrassi The Next Generation about Hazel feeling disconnected from her culture. Ciliac Sasanasi, who played Yik, came back for the Next Generation reboot and trained as an assistant director. Neil Hope made a film with his friends about the effects of alcoholism. Degrassi took real kids and not only told their stories, but helped them learn how to tell other people's stories as well. So if Degrassi Talks was such a good idea and such a well-received show, why didn't they do it again when they rebooted the series in 2001? 
Social media changed the way Degrassi could hear from real kids. Now, kids could log on to Degrassi.tv and chat with other fans, talk about how they related to the show. Communication and conversation was now at our fingertips. In 2010, the show started Twitter accounts for all of their characters. Even the actors had instant and direct access to the fans for the first time ever. Degrassi Talks was everywhere. In season 13, the student council in the show proposes an idea called Degrassi TV. It's essentially an in-show Degrassi Talks and a reference to the original website. They interview their fictional fellow students around body image, bullying, masculinity, and on their real YouTube page, Degrassi fans could send in their own videos and share their stories with the cast and fellow fans. A year later, Adamo, who played Marco, hosts a series called Degrassi Chats, where he goes across Canada to talk to kids about LGBT clubs and schools, consent, and online bullying. Those videos were then uploaded to social media. Degrassi Talks didn't end, it just changed. It adjusted to the new world teenagers found themselves in year after year, just like Degrassi always does. And honestly, projects like Degrassi Talks, Degrassi Chats, Degrassi TV show just how Degrassi is so different from any other teen TV show. The actors actually take pride in helping kids. Last week, my first guest was Annie, who played Fiona on the show. You can clearly see that she embraced the fans and accepted the responsibility that came along with being on Degrassi. I had the crazy opportunity to connect with Annie Clark's mom and dad, and I think they'd be okay with me sharing this, but they said it was always a rule that the kids in Degrassi brought responsibility to such a privileged position. And as parents, we were so grateful. Oh, that is just so sweet. And these projects, these actors, the vulnerability each person on Degrassi shares is a part of what makes this my favorite show. And guys, if you want to keep hearing stories about Degrassi, you can subscribe to my Patreon page, which is linked in the description. I've set a goal. Once we hit 30 supporters of the Degrassi Kid podcast, I'm going to commit to getting you guys one guest every month, which means you could have your chance to ask Degrassi stars your burning questions and receive bonus videos answers like all those lovely folks did with Annie Clark last week. And of course, I have to send a big thank you to everyone who's already subscribing. Ben G, Jade Morrison, DP, Lori Clark, and Nikki Petter all just signed up to support the Degrassi Kid podcast. And the ultimate Degrassi fans, Rachel Miller, Lucy Schwent, Stephen Emerson, Kimberly Warren, Brittany Brown, Annie Clark, Ashley Ashley, Evie's Treasures, Max, Sarah J, Stevie Jarawa, and Teal Joyce, who signed up at the highest tier. If you want to be just like these amazing folks and make the Degrassi Kid podcast a weekly reality, you can find the link in the episode's description. And no matter what, I appreciate you for sticking around this long and listening to another episode of the Degrassi Kid podcast. Thanks, guys. <laughs>